And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trout is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte, skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. (laughs) Greetings and welcome to Starkville, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70. Celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. Also, check out the Athletic Baseball Show. A, because it's great. And B, because we're part of that show. We do our thing every Tuesday. Let me introduce myself. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic. And I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, Distinguished former major leaguer Doug Glanville takes me a long time to introduce you, Doug. <laughs> well, I keep thinking, you know, you know, the Simpsons episode they keep changing the couch, like whenever they. So I'm thinking I should try to add a new title each week. Um, I think that would be kind of fun because <laughs> I'm could. kind of a, I'm kind of a landscaper, you know. I do, you know, whatever I'm doing over here. So um, I'll, I'll think about that. But uh, this week, mostly a chauffeur for the kids, and uh, <laughs> I feel pretty good about that. Good gig. All right. Uh, Distinguished former major leaguer and chauffeur, Doug Glanville. Uh, Doug, before we get to our special guest, Jason Benetti, this week. Oh, yeah. I want to I circle back on some stuff from last week. And the first is the saga of rats and raccoons. <laughs> uh, first off, I've never had a reaction to any story I've ever told on Starkville like the reaction to the raccoon story last week. I, this felt like it was bigger than the Tyra Banks story. I th- and I bet you thought that was impossible. <laughs> That's hard to beat, but yeah, <laughs> I'll roll it's, with it. Though. <laughs> it's, it's really hard to beat. Um, definitely would be more fun to hang out with Tyra Banks than it was for me to hang out with that raccoon in Dodger Stadium. Uh, but on that rat raccoon topic, we also talked about how the best way to keep a story alive, if you're in baseball, is what? <laughs> to act like you have something to hide. Exactly. So then Sunday in Dunedin, Phillies had a little dugout something or other, screaming match, still unclear exactly what it was, <laughs> Joe Girardi and Gene Segura. And afterwards, uh, Joe Girardi went next question on it, Doug. Let's hear some <laughs> of this. What happened in the dugout? The bench conversation meant for the bench. Were you disappointed? The bench conversation meant for the bench. Okay. And, and you said conversation for the bench, but do you think that that matter is resolved or do you, do you still have to figure that out? That's my job. And you said the Segura thing, it's, it's your job, it's your job to resolve. I, you can ask matter. all you want. You got everything you're going to get about it. 
All right, that's I, I'm done with it. I know you're doing your job, but that's that's it. Joe, conversation or confrontation? Next question. How about the optics of all this? I mean, next today. question. Next question. I mean, it just it, from Jimmy. Baseball... I'm not going to talk about it, Jimmy. I'm not going to talk about it. Next question. You got a baseball question? Ask me a baseball question. Uh, you would have thought that was a baseball question, right? <laughs> but so so Doug. Uh, let's see, that was our friends Matt Gelb, Todd Zalecki, Jim Salisbury, trying to find out what the heck happened. Joe Girardi, not into that. Doug, would he have been better off playing the rat and raccoon game or actually answering the question in any way? Well, I, I kind of would have shifted it because I, I wouldn't want to infringe upon the rat raccoon story. I would go zebra and horse. I would use two different animals. And say that they were they were kind of arguing over whether that was a zebra or a horse, and then maybe you would get somewhere because then you'd at least start a whole new storyline. Because I I kind of mix them up too sometimes. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, let's see. Let me go through this. One, I spent a lot of time in Dunedin, Florida. There are no zebras. <laughs> there might be some horses, but you'd be way better off going like alligator and flamingo. Something like that. Yeah, but, or crocodile. It could be croc crocodile. Yeah, I like not that. a lot of crocodiles. There's way more <laughs> gators there. Uh, a lot of pelicans. But um, second, yeah, well, you missed a point from last week. <laughs> You're not supposed to yeah, go down the no, animal you road. Get, You're supposed to answer the questions, Doug. Yeah, I mean, well, they're in Florida. You know, Bush Garden sponsorship. I mean, you got to think outside the box. But I, I, you know, I, I think look, there's no question that the more you try to obscure the truth. The more people feel there's more to the story, and look, it, it's it's hard when you know that, as he said, they have a, there's a job to be done, and the media has a job. And by the way, it's a big part of the financing of the sport, right? You have TV contracts and deals, and 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 so there's this relationship, and it doesn't just go away. In fact, it actually gets considerably worse because now you have it on Twitter and the videos playing and the speculation and the really the front line is the one that can absolutely address it most directly and most succinctly and clearly so that you kind of okay, we at least know what we're working off a standard of truth. But when you leave it open, you know, it's a nightmare. So I I'm sure in the moment, you know, Girardi's emotionally doesn't want to talk about it. He's frustrating, he's embarrassed, whatever it is. Uh, but I mean, it's not going to go away because it is a baseball question. It's about the relation. First of all, it's on camera, and there's a relationship of players that are that affect you as in terms of performance and and the fact that players may not be getting along or coaches and I should say coaches and players may not be getting along. Whatever. I mean, you have a problem, and it's very public right now. And the more you don't talk about, it, the more public it becomes. That's right. People can see this. Right. <laughs> there are yeah. cameras, right? Like they see that you guys are screaming at each other in the dugout. It's on camera. Then they can see when you go to the mound to make a pitching change, Gene Segura doesn't come to the mound with all the other infielders. They can see that. And there are ways to answer these questions without going next question. Now, you got along with everybody. You probably never got in any kind of screaming match with anybody in a dugout that was captured on camera or whatever. Mm -hmm. But... Did you ever have to answer a question remotely like he was just asked there? Whoa. Um, no, I mean, I think that I'm trying to think of some of the tougher moments media-wise. One one big story was, was Scott Rowland, who actually spoke to a couple of days ago. Um, Scott Rowland, it was suspected that he had this big contract offered 
and he didn't take it and he was going to stay. I, I'm sure you remember this well, right? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> right. So it was like, you know, he settled on this one-year deal and all the story about, wow, he's offered all this money in the Brinks truck and he didn't want to stay in Philly. So we were going to Cleveland. <clears throat> we were going to Cleveland on a road trip and, quote, it was leaked out in four anonymous quotes in an article saying that, you know, Roland is, quote, a cancer in the locker room and all this stuff really negative on Roland. Roland was completely beside himself. And we had a, a meeting in the locker room in Cleveland, and he was like, you know, some someone needs to stand up. I remember Bobby Abreu says, hey, face it. Whoever said it, come out and say it. And nobody would acknowledge those quotes. Then it became maybe the press kind of made it up. I think it was a Randy Miller story. Maybe they made it up. Maybe, you know, and which wasn't the case, but it was just one of those battlegrounds where we were all looking at each other. And it created such a level of, almost animosity or mistrust or distrust amongst because nobody could know who said this about a teammate and it was obviously to the press and it was put out there in public and there was clearly a lot of tension over it so we we almost didn't go out for batting we were sitting there debating it at one point <laughs> it was like i want to confront you know randy miller in the press because we want to know who said it and you got to reveal your sources i mean it was going you know way off the rails so you know, so from that became some questions, and it was sort of how do you how do you answer that? And and there is a domain that you're trying to be private about, right, in your locker room to a certain degree, but you also know that you're on camera. I mean, it's like Steve Traxel covering his mouth when he was talking to his catcher because he knew the cameras on him, and he wanted to make sure. Like that was I remember a big moment knowing that cameras are on you guys, and you have to know, and you have to accept that what happens is going to be public and. Uh, although this was in the locker room, it spilled out. I mean, we weren't literally weren't even outside. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, I, I it's hard. You you definitely don't get along with everybody. There's people you want to fight, or you're gonna get in a fight in, or the other team guy you fought with gets traded over to your team. There's a lot of there's a lot of tension in there, but you do the best you can to not make it everybody's problem because once it is, it's you can't put that back in the bottle. That's correct, and uh, as we. We reminded everybody last week, if you try to run away from the story, a one-day story becomes a two-day story or a three-day story. Yep. Don't, don't do that. You don't want to do that. Uh, okay, next question. See what I did there, Doug? <laughs> right, <sorry. laughs> All right. If you don't listen to Starkville, you're missing out on being the first to know stuff. Sometimes it's important stuff. Like, Doug, you remember last week... When Joe Madden told us a thing about Shohei Otani, this is what he told us. I mean, there might become the day that you don't even worry about him pitching with a long enough bench because he might be able to just pitch and then run out into right field for the rest of the game. <laughs> I don't think that's impossible. I really don't. Because the, the issue would be that you're worried about his arm. How many throws is a right fielder going to have to make from the seventh inning on normally? Like really intense throws. So I don't know that that's an impossible thing to look at either. And then you really got, if we ever get to the point where he's capable of staying in the game after he's done pitching, that in order to continue to hit positionally, wow, that would become very interesting. Yeah, that was last Tuesday morning. Guess what happened Tuesday night, Doug? It got very interesting. Otani pitched seven innings and struck out 10 and then he went to right field and played right field for the rest of the game. Uh, all right, Doug, dug into this quite a bit. Uh, did you know 
only one other man in modern history had ever, let's see, he had double-digit strikeouts on the mound and played right field in the same game. <laughs> and here's the story of that game. This was in 1952, right going down to the end of the season. Uh, Harvey Haddix, starting pitcher for the Cardinals, walks the leadoff hitter, and then they put him in right field. Nobody out in the first inning, Doug. So Stan Musial could come in and pitch. Stan Musial, he had never pitched before. He never pitched again. This was the only time. Wow. It was because he was he was fighting for the batting title with a guy named Frank Baumholtz of the Cubs, who was coming up, Frank Baumholtz. So Eddie Stanky was the manager. He brought in Stan Musial to pitch to him. <laughs> Tremendous. So he pitches to him, and uh, like this – Frank Baumholtz guy, he thinks this is so bizarre. He's a left-handed hitter, but he turned around and batted right-handed. <laughs> okay, so you get one pitch, uh, ground ball to the third baseman. Third baseman clanks it, error. Musial goes back to right. Harvey Haddock's back to the mound. Uh, strikes out 11. So I think it's safe oh. to say these two things were not the same <laughs> Slightly thing. different. Yeah, so you look, you played in the outfield and you you played the outfield in the major leagues many, many times. Could you even have imagined pitching seven innings, let alone striking out ten, and then going out to play the outfield? I mean, well, everything Otani does, I'm, I'm having trouble to imagine. That's that's what's so crazy about it. he is yes. create he's creating imagination, and he's uh, he's living it. And I mean, it's remarkable. I I mean, I I kind of feel like it's the eighth wonder of the world kind of thing. Like I. I just want to know when he's playing so I can just watch and because of what he's doing on the field. But yeah, I think part of it is you, you, you probably have to rely on adrenaline a little bit because maybe in that moment you could still make a couple of throws. Like, you know, but the next day or the day after that, when you're really sore and kicking in and all those things, like, I don't know how he can make these throws, you know, um, and, you, you know, other than hoping that the ball's not hit to him. But I wouldn't be shocked if he. Maybe as a throw in them, and in right field you don't get enough action to say you're gonna have to throw like five different throws every given time to get the cutoff man. You're good. So I, I mean, just it's just a marvel, and I'd like to see it more of Otani <laughs> just getting out there. I mean, he probably could play shortstop. I mean, who knows? So uh, there yeah. there seems to be no limit to this guy. He's on he's unreal, man. He's get this. He's leading the league in in extra base hits. And he's allowed the fewest extra base hits. <laughs> and he's a real person. I say this every week. Uh, all right, one more thing before we move on with the show. Uh, also spent a lot of time last week talking to Joe Madden about a guy named Albert Pujols. And if you remember, Joe said Albert could still help another team if they had a DH spot open. And then, of course, Albert signed with a team that plays in a league that doesn't have a <laughs> DH spot anywhere. That's the Dodgers. So what do you think of that fit, Doug Glanville? I, well, I, I think it fits to something we also discussed uh, with, with Joe about this idea that, you know, maybe there is a hired gun. You know, you have Albert Pujols with a lot of experience, has a lot of uh, input to, to impart on, on some of these players that are world champions. He's been one himself. And they have a lot of experience, a lot of experience that have incredible accomplishments, whether Cy Youngs and, you know, quite a team. And and so, yeah, come September or come late in the year, 
you need situational hitting, you, someone experienced who could pinch hit or do something else, then he's part of your organization. You're not bringing him in from, you know, September trades or July or whatever. You're doing something that he can add so much to this point. And, you know, some people are getting hurt, injuries, COVID, whatever. You know, Pulos may get some playing time in there and and just be revitalized. And and so I, 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 can, I can see it. Uh, it. Clearly, there was hesitation about his defense and where that might be going. But he still has a lot of things to offer. And Joe Madden said that. He's like, he can help a team. And right now, it looks like it's going to be the Dodgers. So one more bit of useless information here, because the Dodgers will be only the fourth team in history with four former MVPs on their team. All right, here are the other three. 1996 Red Sox had Roger Clemens, Jose Canseco, Kevin Mitchell, and Mo Vaughn. How about that group? 1982 Angels, Rod Carew, Fred Lynn, Don Baylor, and Reginald Martinez Jackson. Mm. And the 78 Reds, four guys I believe are all homegrown, right? Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, George Foster, Johnny Bench. So how much fun are those names? It's like... It's like a trivia question or trivia answer to a question nobody asked. (laughs) Speaking of that, Doug, it's time once again for listener trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. And most weeks, we literally involve you because what we normally do is we pick the most fun listener trivia question of the week. Then we invite you to join us on the podcast live to stump us. But Doug, this week, we have something a little unusual going on. The mayor of Starkville, Mayor Tim, chose the trivia question this week. He asked us to move it up in the show, hmm. and he won't even tell us who submitted it. Oh, my so goodness. What do, you, what, what do you think the mayor's up to here, Doug? Uh, I think it's uh, maybe a former leader of the United States. I mean, is that, are we at that level yet where we're getting that kind of level <laughs> trivia? I don't know what he's got, but, uh, you know, t- like Tim has been mostly a benevolent mayor. Uh, he's a man of the people. You notice we no longer call him the evil mayor of Starkville no. like we used to with our previous mayors because Tim has never been a force for evil. But, Doug, there's just something happening here. Uh, so let, let's bring him in. Mm-hmm. We'll see if he'll give us any feel for what the heck is going on. Mr. Mayor, please explain. I like to think of my mayorship as uh, a good umpire that is not seen or heard and, and you don't think about him and, and that's generally how it is. But this week we're, we're upping the game a little bit with the trivia. Um, and as we get along here, you'll, but, but the question, should we just get into the question first? Well, can we use Glanville uh, rules here? Like, do we get do we go back to the old rules of multiple guesses and, and two heads are better than I'll one? I'll tell you what, of? because this, this question is... Well, it's going to be a stumper. I will let you each submit an answer because there's only one answer. So you can each submit an answer. All right. All right. All right. I negotiated. Name the player who homered in his first at bat as a starter in both leagues. So he homered in his first at bat as a starter. starter. (laughs) Right. There's only one word to describe this question. It's impossible. Infinite. Infinite? Yeah, this is like like infinite, right? This is like one of those questions you win a bar bet on. How many players have played in both leagues? I played in both leagues. Yeah. Doug, is there any chance you're the answer? I am not the answer. There we go. We got it now. (laughs) 
All right. So we eliminated one player. <laughs> we are all set. Um, I, like, I don't have any idea, but you know whose name rang a bell is Miguel Cabrera? Because I know he homered in his first opening day as a Tiger. I looked that up when he homered this opening day. I, I remember him having a huge homer when the Marlins call, called him up. So I'm going to guess it's him, but... Maybe it could be. It could easily be your boy as Dribble Cabrera. <laughs> right, exactly. That's what, exactly. Well, um, no. So, we're, are we assuming Albert Pujols is not the answer to this? Because I'm just like, wait a minute. We it wasn't except uh, but beyond, besides Albert, right? Could have. Could be. Oh man. Okay. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna pause that thought. Okay. So, I, I know a couple of names just because I happen to be paying attention to this. Uh, I'm not saying that this is the right answer, but I I want to say Jorge Soler hit a home run with the Cubs is first at bat. I think that's right. Maybe Jason Hayward, but that's a different league. He is with the Royals. I have no idea what he did with the Royals. <laughs> so so <laughs> that's a possible answer, all I right, guess. All right. All right. Well, I might as well. Okay. So Miguel right. Cabrera Miguel. and Jorge Soler are our two answers. Just wild guess. Tim, is there any chance it's either of those guys? It is not either of those guys. As expected, you did not get this one right. But would you like to know who the correct answer was? I mean, it's we not would, Albert. Don't well, say that's Albert the way Pulis. it works. You're supposed to tell us who the correct answer is. Well, the correct answer is joining us on the show, guys. It is oh, Fred what? Lynn. And here he oh, is. My oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is awesome. Hi, guys. Fred Lynn. Fred. What is going on? Like, we've never had this happen, Fred, where the answer to the question materialized (laughs) under a beach umbrella or whatever the heck you're doing there. Well, I'm in my backyard, and I I thought I'd uh, show you what it looks like to be in San Diego since you probably never see the sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's May. The sun just came out about 20 minutes ago. I've been, like, you're in in Carlsbad? Yes, Carlsbad is just north of uh, San Diego. Uh, Ooh, Legoland, I know, Legoland. Right. Yes. I, the last time, the last time I roamed the streets of Carlsbad, ran into Dave Roberts and Mark Loretta. I don't know how I missed you. Well, you know, Dave Roberts is a member at our club, and once you know he stops managing, he gets uh, down here, and I try to take his money on the golf course. <laughs> and that, how's that go? Well, you know what? Probably I'm a decent well. player, but I'm not going to tell you how good. Just in case you want to play me sometime. <laughs> All right. Well, let, let just just to be clear for people who are completely confused now, Fred Lynn was a great player in the <laughs> 70s and the 80s. First player ever to win the MVP and Rookie of the Year awards in the same season. Am you I were, right, Fred? You were right. Uh, Ichiro did it. Uh, well, we're going to say he was a rookie, but he never liked being called a rookie. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, like, you really stand alone. And... Um, Look, I, I do want to ask you about the two home runs that were in your trivia question, but here's a crazy thing. Your name just came up on this show like two minutes ago when we were talking about Albert Pujols because you were on one of the three other teams in history that had four former MVPs on it. So maybe I should ask you that trivia question. Like, Do you know what team that was and who are the other MVPs? Ooh, well, you know, in Boston, we had uh, Tony Perez, Jim Rice, uh, Kaya Stremski, and myself. Uh, with the Angels, we had Reggie Jackson, Rod Carew, uh, Don Baylor, and me. 
So that those are the two that I played on with four MVPs. Didn't do us much good. <laughs> oh yeah, but 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 it made for excellent trivia history. Anyway. Well, you know what? We could always hit the ball. Whatever team I played uh, for, we could always hit. It was we just fell short sometimes in the arms department. And as you guys know, uh, you get into the playoffs, you need uh, two or three uh, horses on the, on the mound that they can get to to those tough times. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's ask you about your your, your question. Um, you hit a home run in your first at bat in each league as a starter. <laughs> so tell us about your first home run. This would have been probably before you were rookie of the year. So let's see, September of 1974. That's, cor- that's correct. Off. I was called up in September of 74. Uh, the team was actually in first place in August. And they called Jimmy up about midway through August and they called me up in September and they were in a real nosedive for whatever reason. They weren't playing. And I got to pinch hit a couple of times. Uh, Daryl Johnson put me in as a pinch hitter and I never pinch hit my life. I mean, I've always been a start. I don't even know how to do it. Uh, so I didn't get any hits. Then my first game that I started was on the road in Milwaukee facing Jimmy Slayton. I, I don't know any of these guys. I'm seeing them for the first time. Uh, he threw me a fastball and I hit a good foul. And the next piece, he threw me a curveball and I hit it out to right field. So my first at bat as a starter in American League, I homer. So fast forward 16 years, when I finally get to the National League, okay, <laughs> now I'm playing for the San Diego Padres. We are opening up against the Dodgers in LA. 55,000 people, and most of them are SC people, so I got some fans in the stands. <laughs> so we're facing Oral Hershey's. So I asked some of the guys, is how do you hit Oral? They said, well, you really don't. <laughs> I said, okay, great. <laughs> That's good to know. So I come up in the first yeah. inning, and he hangs me a changeup, and I hit it out. So my first at bat in the National League was a homer off Oral, and my first at bat as a starter in the American League was a home run. Now, these, this is some sort of uh, obscure stat that only baseball could have, right? And I'm probably the only person that knows the answer because I did it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's see. So let's see. Peter Gammons looked that up. Or what, like, where'd that come from? Somebody figured it out. That's you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's it really is because I don't know that anybody has had their first hit in both leagues be it a home run. Uh, less, you know, your first at bat as a, as a starter. So it's yeah, one of those things that you know, just pops up in baseball once in a while. And it's great for uh, shows like you guys have. Yep. That keeps us in business. <laughs> now, uh, last week, it's funny, like we put out a call every week for listener trivia questions. Somebody tweeted us a question about you and then you <laughs> tweeted the answer <laughs> at us okay yes. it's blew our minds uh it revolved around one of your all-time magic moments we have to hear it the 1983 all-star game let's hear what happened out at first carew at second trio at third two out and he drives it to deep right that goes murphy away back and Oh my God, Vince Skelly on that call. Uh, that's the only, still the only Grand still. Slam in all-star history, if I'm right. What, what do you remember about that uh, that magic carpet ride you took around the bases? Everything. <laughs> it, it meant a lot uh, in a lot of different ways. Firstly, then you mentioned Vince Scully. I grew up 
in the LA suburbs. So I got a transistor radio when I was a kid and I used to have the little earbud and, and hide under the covers, you know, supposed to be in bed, listen to Vince Scully do Dodger games. So to have Vince Scully call that home run was really special for me because I've known Vince Scully for all my life, basically. But more importantly, the American League was getting beaten repeatedly by the Nationals uh, at that time. I think we'd lost like 11 out of 12. And that was my ninth straight All-Star game. We'd lost every one. So we were a little tired of hearing about the National League superiority and how they were trying more than we were, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it was really getting on our nerves. And so uh, to the lead into that the inning, a rice slid off the inning with a homer. And he's my ex-teammate. He's playing with the, the Red Sox still, and I'm with the Angels. So the, we started hitting around, and, and uh, they get, we get second and third. We've gone up 3-1, and Robin Yount's going to be the hitter. Well, they walk Robin intentionally to get to me. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. Man, that's just like, woo. You know, what am I? You're an all-star <laughs> game. I am an all-star. No, I, but I understood the strategy because Adley Hammaker's ERA was microscopic. It was like 1.1. It was nuts. And we faced him in spring training. And we couldn't hit him with a tennis racket. I mean, he was just nasty. <laughs> so I, I got it. Um, but you know what? Every lefty on the planet wants to get you out with a breaking ball. It's, that's what it comes down to. They can throw 150 miles an hour. They want to throw a breaking ball to strike you out. That's how it is. So I got the count to two and two. And he can't walk me. You know, he's got to throw a strike. And I know he's going to throw that curveball because I had swung and missed two of them early in that bat. He threw it, and I was I was ready for it. And I hit it out, and as I'm rounding first, and I pump my fist, which I never do, and I put us up 7-1. I said, we're finally going to win a game. <laughs> so <laughs> as an American leaguer, um, we got off the snide. And if you look up the stats from after 1983, the American League has dominated the Nationals since that home run. Yes, true. It's all your fault. <laughs> hey, Fred, I... Uh, why don't you ask Doug how many Grand Slams he hit? <laughs> hey, uh, I, I, have a, I only have one professional one. That was a walk-off with bases loaded down by three in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. That's and I went opposite field, which never happened again. So well, that's impressive. That's impressive. Down by three and hit a granny. That's pretty. But you know what? I know something about you, Doug. You threw guys out a lot. You know, I always uh, admire guys that played defense. And you could play defense, and you threw you guys out on a regular basis. And I always wondered, asking a guy, especially like you, that threw a lot of guys out, why did they keep running? Did they have brain cramps? I mean, are the coaches not paying attention? I mean, you throw guys out all the time. What are they doing? Yeah. Well, yeah, when I first came up, I mean, that was, you know, a big plus in my, you know, sort of skills column. And I pitched in high school, a little bit in college. And uh, when I played in the Cape for Cape Cod, I won the Best Pro Prospect Award, and a lot of it was my my defense. And so I paid a lot of attention. Now, remember, I played Stratomatic Baseball, so I knew Fred Lynn, of course. You know, you were always like a one in the outfield, great arm. And there was always these players that I admired. It was Cesar Geronimo, Omar Moreno, you know, uh, Rick Miller, or you know, there was just so many really good players, defenders. And you were you were one of them, but you also had this, you know, incredible offensive skill set to go with it. So I, I took a lot of pride in defense, just taking hits away. And then when I was in Philly on the turf, I knew I didn't have to throw it in the air. I could bounce it in there and get the skip. So, I mean, it was just more became more efficiency and accuracy 
instead of velocity. And I learned that particularly playing in, in the at the vet. So uh, so I've appreciated. I guess my question for you is like how where did that incredible defensive pride come from? It wasn't like I mean the gold gloves were there, but it was more you don't have the data you have now to show that appreciation for defense. So what what was it about your game that you took so much pride in it? You know what? As a center fielder uh, back in those days, I wanted to catch every ball hit. That was my my edict to myself. But the the way that I played defense so aggressively really came from playing other sports. Uh, I was a point guard in basketball and as a rebounding point guard. So I love to grab a rebound over the big guys and then haul ass down court, you know, for a layup. Uh, I was a DB in football. I went to SC to play football uh, under John McKay. So as a defender, I want you to throw the ball in my direction. I want to pick it off. Uh, but that's the way I played defense. I very aggressive on whatever sport I played. So I kind of took that into baseball. And back in the day when I played, you know, unfortunately, uh, none of the, the, the defenses were padded, especially in Fenway Park. The Green Monster was called that for a reason. It was made out of concrete. I think the padding yeah. was two coats of paint. <laughs> so that's why they put the second coat on there <laughs> I, I just really loved like you you said it quite well takeaways uh it's more deflating when you're playing in yankee stadium and a hostile crowd in front of fifty-five thousand, and you make a play to make that stadium go quiet it is the best feeling ever <laughs> and you know that doug because you, you've done it and it, it's so gratifying and so demoralizing for an offense when they think, oh, we got a hit here. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's, right. <laughs> that's kind of my philosophy. And I love to watch uh, great defenders uh, like Jackie Bradley Jr. And he was in center field there for Boston. And yeah. I love watching guys that love to play defense. Yep. Um, all right. One more thing before we let you go, Fred. Um, what are you doing now besides taking Dave Roberts money on the golf course? <laughs> well, when uh, things are you know, going well, I do some stuff for Major League Baseball. I'll be at the All-Star Game for them and work Fan Fest and do some things for them. Um, I do some stuff for the Red Sox. They have a legend skybox. And I used to go back three or four times a year and host it for the corporate clients. And when they start getting more fans in the stands, I'll be doing that. As you know, I do answer questions on Twitter. <laughs> so I'm watching. Yep, we do. <laughs> and then uh, the lastly, uh, for the last year, I've been doing a lot of work with Cameo with the fans. And this has been really yeah. fun reaching out during the pandemic and granting wishes to, to fans via uh, Cameo. That's been great fun. And then once in a while, I play a little golf. <laughs> Sounds like a good life to me, man. Uh, all right, Fred, this was just the most awesome thing ever. I don't, I, as I said, I don't think we've ever had the human trivia answer actually then materialize onto this show. So you've made Starkville history. We've loved having you. And uh, hey, hit us up with more great Fred Lynn trivia anytime, except anytime. we might be on you now. <laughs> well, you know yeah, remember, remember, I'm watching. <laughs> Yeah, you are that's awesome. just how we like it come visit us here anytime <laughs> thanks for having me guys yeah, thanks fun. fred yeah great honor so much thanks, fun fred. thanks man fred that was beautiful All thanks right. you're welcome thank you we'll, we'll do it time. again i'll think of something else <laughs> yeah, yeah no doubt Check it right. anytime. Hey, Doug, good. nice to meet you Doug. nice to meet you Jay. yeah fred pleasure man take care fred. wow so so doug how cool was that? No. Just a few days ago, you were tweeting your shock 
that Fred Lynn was answering a question directed at us, and then he magically appears on Starkville. <laughs> no, that was fantastic. I mean, he was such a great player, such a great player, and so good to see him like with the outreach and getting involved in Twitter and joining us here in Starkville. I'm starting to think that Starkville, do we give him a street? Maybe a building or like a, a park in Starkville. We, we named Fred Lynn or so maybe a yeah. teleportation, like a Star Trek. Do we have a teleportation machine, Star Trek? He can, well, since, if we, he, since he did that. We, yeah, we could work on that. Um, yeah. If we, let's see, if we had an amusement park, he could be the Lynn Sanity Ride. He could, no, <laughs> he, he could do it. Just thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, one more thing. Didn't, like, didn't, didn't you have some kind of Atley Hamaker connection with him that you yeah, I, I did tweet back. I mean, uh, I, of course, Atley Hamaker, probably not the way he wanted to be, but he was known for that giving up that Grand Slam. And I, of course, remember watching it and, and just the excitement. I love that all-star rival because, remember, there, there was no interleague, so it was always like, wow, these two teams would never see each other. So I, I reveled in it. And, um, and so eventually, you know, I got I signed in 1991, minor leagues, and when I was playing in double-A, I think it was – it might have been the Jordan years, somewhere in there. I'm not sure, but I think it was uh, Birmingham. And he was making a comeback in somewhere around 94, 95, somewhere in there, 93. And he, uh, I faced Hamaker. And you know how it is as a minor league player, when you face a major leaguer and you get a hit off him, it's like, wait a minute, I, I'm, I'm arriving right now. So I faced Hamaker. I think I hit a triple off him or did something. And and all I could think of is, that's the guy that gave up the grand slam, the Fred Lynn, the <laughs> all-star guy. Not that he wanted to be known for that, but it was still, um, I felt like I got a hit off of a major league all-star pitcher. And that wow. that's that's a big notch in your belt when you're rising up in the minor leagues. So that was really cool. So that was the only connection that you had with Fred Lynn until just moments ago. Yeah, wow. truly, truly. That thrill. was it. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, next week, we'll get back to business as usual, bringing in some lucky listener to join us on the show, and we'll tell you how that works later. But first, we need to welcome in our scheduled guest. He's the broadcast voice of the White Sox. He's the ringleader of ESPN's tremendous StatCast, NerdCast, or whatever it is, and he's an esteemed graduate of America's finest school of higher education, Syracuse University. It's the great Jason Benetti. Jason, welcome to Starkville. Uh, thank you very much for the welcome. Really appreciate it, but I'm no Fred Lynn. <laughs> Who the heck is? <laughs> you have to be the answer to your own trivia question to be Fred Lynn, apparently. 
We just had quite a moment, Jason. We'll tell you all about it. Uh, anyway, D- Doug, when I first met Jason Benetti, do you know he was the voice of the Syracuse Chiefs? So, Jason, has anything changed for you since then at all? Well, Jason, I am no longer uh, with my uh, esteemed staff in media relations building risers in a press box for Steven Strasburg's arrival. Right. So things are a little different. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's uh, – Life is, it was, it was so funny. Uh, one of the, uh, one of the, the great national writers who came through for the Strasburg stuff and then Bryce Harper the next year came up to me at one point during that whole process and said, Hey, you know, I think if you wanted, I, uh, I could get you a job in media relations in major league baseball. I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> this, this is the worst part of the job. Nothing against media relations, but thank you for saying that. But no, 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 no. Anyway, you weren't heartened to know that you were at least employable. Uh, no, I was. I was very happy to be employable at a level <laughs> that I aspired to. Uh, but you know, I, I this this person uh, is a is a great person, and so I was flattered. But I also was like, nah, you know, doing game notes in AAA has been great fun. And I mean, just great fun updating day-by-day stats. But I'll pass. Right. Well, I, all, all I can tell you is we all knew then you were going places. It just didn't take long. Uh, Doug, I know you agree. Jason Benetti is one of the great voices of baseball. And he owes it all to Syracuse University, where I went and our pr- producer, Tim McMaster, went. But we won't spend any time obsessing over that because the most important part is, uh, Jason, I know this was always your dream. I've heard you tell the story of your elementary school teacher who assigned you to write a composition on what you wanted to do when you grow up. Tell us what you wrote. Uh, Well, Jason, I would, I would, uh, my joke that I sometimes say in this circumstance is I wrote 50 of these papers and my mom kept all of them just to make sure she had the right one for when I grew up and became something. Uh, no, I actually, I wrote, I want to be the voice of the White Sox after Hawk Harrelson. And so it was fairly specific. And Hawk, <laughs> Hawk ended up going all the way through with a tremendous run. And I ended up being the voice of the White Sox after Hawk Harrelson. It was, uh, it was quite a wild ride. It was, it's, it's totally ridiculous that it ended up happening that way. Totally ridiculous. Right. Like, do you ever have moments where you take a step back and you ask yourself, how did this happen in my actual life? I ask myself, is this my actual life? <laughs> That's a very important question to ask daily. Yeah, Because, you know, I mean, you, you look and you say the odds of this, of getting to Major League Baseball in the first place, are minuscule when it comes to being one of the TV or radio announcers. They're only... 65, you know, give or take a couple fill-ins, play-by-play announcers in Major League Baseball who do this. Maybe maybe 80 or so with two teams of radio, you know, things like that. But the odds of doing that are so infinitesimally small. And then the odds of doing it for the team that I grew up rooting for are so much smaller. And then, I mean, the wildest part is I had heard, and I still don't know that this was true, I had heard in 2015 that Hawk was thinking about cutting back for the 2015 season, which was the year before he ended up cutting his schedule in half. So, you know, you know how it goes at ESPN. Sometimes there are, you get games and then you get better games the next year for whatever reason. Right. And I, I would say that as of 2015, 
I wasn't getting good enough games at ESPN for the White Sox to really consider me. That 2016 season, or the yeah, that 2016 basketball season, 15 into 16, I was starting to do some Big Ten games with Jim Calhoun, and so people knew me a little bit in the Midwest. And I think the timing worked out well enough that had Hawk cut back in 2015, I really do believe somebody else would have the job. Yeah, and, and Jason, I mean, I, I thought of it more in the context of, you know, I, I was a Phillies fan growing up. So I, of course, thought about, okay, if I make the major leagues, one day maybe it's the Phillies. But there's also an aspect of getting into the field and, and being a competitor, right? You Like, all right, now it happened. And now you are the, the White Sox announcer, the voice, and you did come after Hawk Howerson. What was that collision recognizing you're actually coming behind this legend that you admired all this time? Doug, I had a, I had a basketball game at TCU that uh that january but right after it had gotten announced i want to say and i was doing some prep work in this embassy suites in fort worth i remember exactly what the room looked like because i looked down at my phone and i had missed a call from this orlando phone number and i listened to my voicemail and it was a voicemail from hawk harrelson asking me to call him back and i thought what What? (laughs) this is happening what's going on so I called him and, and Hawk Harrelson for what, you know, I know national people know him for yelling at Mark Wagner and things that go along with that. I can tell you Hawk Harrelson is a genuinely kind individual who wanted me to succeed doing this in part because in that phone call, among other great things he said to me, he said, I want you to be you. I'm going to be me and we'll both do what we do very well. Mm-hmm. And with, with, when you come after somebody who's got such a strong personality, that is really a necessity for that person to say that. And he didn't have to. There was, there was nothing that said he needed to want me to succeed or want it to go well or whatever that comes along with it. But I will always appreciate that. And we've had a number of conversations after that. But that first conversation for him to have the care to say, you go be you. You don't need to be anything but yourself is glorious so what so what was it like now sort of being in this sort of direct daily field of of calling this team calling for this team telling these stories you know what's the dream meeting reality like has it been like what are the dreams that have stayed the dream and what are the dreams that have kind of come reality for you Mm, that's interesting it's interesting in this moment in time because you know as we're talking about this, I'm about to go into a studio to do Socks and Twins. And one of the joys of the career for me has been traveling and getting to see all of the places that I will tell you that the next time we're on the road for the White Sox, it will hit me again like I'm 14. Mm-hmm. Because I love going to ballparks. I love walking to concourse. I love trying the new food. Mm-hmm. I miss being in the clubhouse dearly. That That's one of my favorite parts of, of doing the job is getting to know the players. But having the good fortune of calling the first Sox playoff clincher since 2008 last year, the Giolito and Rodon no-hitters, I mean, the, those, those are two of the coolest moments in my life because I've gotten to know those guys very well and know what they've done to try to get good at this and great at it and be healthy enough to do it and all the strife they've gone through to become them. Those, those moments are 
are beautiful. And I, I do feel like a fan when I'm doing those games. And I will say, I, I, to me, the, the best part of doing the job so far, um, other than a partnership with Steve Stone that has truly flourished and become something really, really cool. And our wavelengths of wit are sort of the same and his is from a different generation, but we have a lot in common. Uh, to me, the Tim Anderson saga is a beautiful thing. <laughs> Because you get you got a guy who ended up getting suspended for something that I don't think he should have gotten suspended for a couple years ago. He gets thrown at, there's this whole hullabaloo, and I get to follow a guy and understand a guy who truly wants to be himself so much that he can't help but be himself. And like I think that's what we all want out of whatever we do. But to watch somebody like Tim grow and become an icon in Chicago, those are the moments where it stayed very real for me because it feels like a treat to get to do this. We, you know, we are so dying to get Tim Anderson on this podcast. So next time you talk to him, you might want to warn him. <laughs> I, w- I will. I will warn him. Right. You know, that's a great segue to talk about the White Sox because they really have that look right now. You know what I mean? Best record in baseball best run differential in baseball. But but Jason, here's the thing. Like suppose I had told you on March 1st that Aloy Jimenez wouldn't have played a game, that Luis Robert would be out for months, <laughs> that Andrew Vaughn and Billy Hamilton would be roaming around the outfield, that they would be what tied for last in the league in homers. I could keep going. That Dylan Cease and Carlos Rodon would be arguably their two most dominating starting pitchers. Would you have ever expected this? I would have said, I don't know what classes you took it seriously. My deal is some teams are just able to magically get around all of the logic. And this is, this isn't magic. Like the, the games they lost this past weekend to Kansas city, the Royals out homered them. The, the pitching staff has done such a good job of avoiding the home run ball that the Sox have had success in large part because of that. They've played seven, as we're, as we're taping this, they've played seven one-run games, which I believe is still the fewest in Major League Baseball, even though the one Sunday was a one-run game. There's been some blowout wins. They kill left-handed pitching. Just crush, demolish, eat for lunch, <laughs> left-handed pitching. But the whole de- I. Uh, somebody just asked me on a local radio show in Chicago, do you think the ground ball rate and the BABIP and all this stuff is sustainable? And my answer is, it is if the pitching is sustainable. Because the offense, if they hit ground balls and they do all the things they're doing but still win games by scoring, if the pitching keeps missing barrels and home runs like they're doing, I think it absolutely is sustainable, especially, especially, and I think when people evaluate just in normal life, when they evaluate a baseball team, they kind of forget about what a strength of bullpen can be. And I know you guys don't, but, you know, top five in strikeout rate bullpen in, in baseball, these guys, you can hand it to them in the sixth and feel pretty good, even though there were a few wonky losses early in the year. Yeah, the way that uh, that Rick Hahn has constructed this team, this roster, top to bottom, is really showing up right now in every way. Um, I, I, I want to pivot a little bit because, Jason, you and Doug and I share a love for something. 
the the weirdness and the wildness <laughs> of baseball. And your team has been like a source of epic weirdness and wildness <laughs> so far. Um, okay, in your annals of craziness, just as a fan of baseball, where would you rank the 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 thing that happened when Dylan Cease had a three for three game this year at the plate before Mookie Betts? Wow, it's it's like as I get hit by it, it's like when you walk outside in the middle of a thunderstorm. You're like, whoa! I should go back in. This is whoa! What's happening? Uh, he so what's amazing about that is. Dylan Cease, when we talked to him post game, he just had sort of this like, I don't know, I kind of closed my eyes, hit the ball sort of feel with his tenor as he was talking to us. And he said Lance Lynn gave him this advice like, you're going to be way late on the fastball, so go get it early. Well, that's not from, I mean, it's, it's fine hitting advice, but it's not exactly like an oracle telling you, hey, here's how you're going to do it. So, so it's almost like he just sort of closed his eyes and swung the bat a couple of times and did this thing that you just don't see people do. Now, I will say he hit a couple out of the ballpark in batting practice during the homestand before, but you know, (laughs) Jason, you both have seen pitcher batting practice. Like, yeah, he might hit a couple tanks. He's going to strike out on the team. (laughs) Like that's just going to happen. So, so to me, I, I've seen, I've seen a four home run game in triple a I've seen, a uh, perfect game live in AAA. I've seen an unassisted triple triple play in AAA. This this is very much near the top of the list of most ridiculous things <laughs> to happen on a ball field in front of me. I saw Vince Velasquez throw out a Sox runner yes. in 2019 from left field <laughs> in the same extra innings when Carson Fulmer smoked a ball to third and didn't get a hit out of it because he got robbed, and then he pulled his hand. <laughs> right. And, and I thought that was the craziest hitting I would see in, in baseball or extra inning. The Dylan Cease thing is very much something I will never forget. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I wrote like two billion words about that, but I actually spent some time with this. I tried to like compile a list of everybody in baseball history who I thought might have had a similar kind of game. And then I went through their lives and, and their times, and I'm convinced there's never been anybody ever who had zero professional plate appearances and then did that. That took a long time to determine that, but you know how you have to know? Like, I had to know that. That can't happen. And it happened. No, no and, it, and it happened. And the, to me, and I know we're in a different era of pitchers in youth baseball, but Dylan Cease is a source of something that was bizarre to me as well in the beyond the hitting stuff in the seven inning complete game he threw a couple of starts ago we asked him in the post game interview i i straight straight out said when was your last complete game he said i don't think i've ever had one i said never in the history of anything like he was a top prospect aren't you supposed to throw 170 pitches when a coach is like killing your arms somewhere i mean he's he's from he's from georgia he goes around (laughs) the the states like throwing the ball as one of the top prospects he had tommy john surgery in high school didn't somebody overheat him at some point (laughs) god really and then like all right so what then what i'm struggling with is all right what's the second wildest and weirdest thing that happened this year i i can't decide 
I mean, your your mean Mercedes starting his career by going eight for eight. That's right up there. You know, Matt Carpenter doesn't have eight hits all season yet. And then you've got Yasmani Grandal. He walks four times every day. He never gets a hit. He's hitting 132, and he still has a higher on base than Tim Anderson, who was out hitting him by 200 points. Okay, then we had Billy Hamilton. Got He had three hits all year, and then he went four for four in one game. Is it like one of those things second, or is it something else? No, I, I, it's and we're we're talking about a month and a half. Yeah, I think I think it's the Mercedes stuff because Mercedes got this one plate appearance last year, and it was this routine ground out, and the way he reacted on the Zoom after uh, before the game actually in Kansas City because they had him on the Zoom because it was his first major league time. It, it felt like I was at an uh, like a a birthday party for somebody who'd never had a birthday party before. <laughs> like, what is this? Oh, there are gifts and there's cake. And this is wonderful. He looked like the very definition of happy to be there. And then he shows up and goes eight for his first eight this year. <laughs> and people are writing stories about how when he was in independent ball, the manager hated him so much. He went across the field and said, will you take him? Cause I don't know. <laughs> and, and then like later, uh, later that month, he ends up coming cold off the bench and has the best at bat against Shane Bieber of the entire game. When he goes nine scoreless into extra innings, I think it's the Mercedes thing, but we're compiling a list of ridiculous stuff. It seems like in, and, and let alone, you know, the whole flap in Cincinnati with the runner at second oh, base God. and everything that went along with that. And it's just been it's been a, a madcap first 40 for the old White Sox <laughs> over here. Well, Jason, I, I always think about the difference of covering, you know, these different levels, different sports. You know, you're doing basketball, you're doing uh, major league, national, local. Uh, what have you found in sort of the rhythm and cadence of really being consistent voice of the White Sox versus some of the national games we did, or even when we did, we went back to the 13-14 Little League World Series, so we've done that. Uh, have you found a, a through line between all these different ways to you know, take in the sport, or uh, have you found some common elements that you kind of refer back to? So I think what it comes down to for me, Doug, is that I wouldn't want to ever have my only thing that I do vocationally be one team. I love the White Sox and don't ever, please, nobody in Chicago take that the wrong way. I think doing the other games helps me do White Sox games because you get a different perspective from the managers. You get a different perspective doing the StatCast games. I don't know about you, but I always left those little league games and junior league games and everything and just had this great appreciation for having all the kids in a room and getting to ask them wild questions like, you know, what what's the strangest way you've ever lost a tooth, right? <laughs> you know, you, you go down those questionnaires with the kids right. and kids will say anything. And there's this new energy when you're around different people. And having done 10 years in the minors and following a team, I love it because you get to know the people really well. But I think it helps me tremendously to get to do a game here and there other places, just perspective-wise. Baseball can suck you into a hole when you're doing one team all the time and you sort of get those blinders. And I don't think blinders are ever really good for life. So I just feel more whole by doing all of the other stuff because I think I can bring it to the White Sox. 
Yeah, I remember one of the one of the answers to the question was their favorite movie. I don't know if you were with me on that one. And there was a movie called, I think, A Perfect Game about the team from Mexico that played in the Little League World Series. And uh, and that I so I had never had seen it before. So I went back and watched it. That was a great movie. So I don't know if those of you out there have seen this movie. It is fantastic. I learned it from the 13, 14-year-old All-Star team. So, <laughs> uh, you know, really cool. That's that's awesome. I my My favorite story is I was I was in Warner Robins, Georgia, doing a little league regional with Mike Lavalier, former Sox catcher. And we were talking to the kids and we got to one kid who evidently had been in an accident as 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 a as a younger kid involving a boat or something. He lost a toe, I think is what it was. And I just had this moment where we're talking to this this one kid and all of the other kids say, ask whatever his name is about his accident or about his toe. And the kid wasn't ashamed at all. And the rest of the team was like, oh, no, 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 no. everybody, like, show him. Take off your <laughs> socks. Show him. It's amazing. And as somebody who's been different at points in my life, I just, I love that moment because nobody was embarrassed about anything. And I just think you can... By stepping outside of the bubble, you can learn so much. And I think that goes for a baseball team season as well. But I, I just, I, I'll never forget the skeleton of that story because I thought it was a really cool thing. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Boy, that is, that is great. Uh, I, I want to ask you about the, uh, the the people you work with in the booth in your various lives. I, I guess we should start with Steve because you and Steve Stone are just incredibly fun to listen to, like the like the team you describe. And I always feel like the measure of a great play-by-play man or person is that they bring out the best in their partner in the booth. What's the art of doing that in general and with Steve in particular? Well, I think, I think with Steve, he has been for so long the straight man. I don't think uh, except maybe when he was with Chip, when they were doing the Sammy Sosa run in the late 90s, early 2000s. Steve Stone has generally been the guy with the personality that's not as boisterous in the booth. But I'm telling you, when, when you watch him analyze a game and you see his eyes dart all over the field in his mid-70s at this point, he sees everything. It's wild how much he understands. and And... His ability with the language, he's always got a witticism. He's always got a barb. He's always got something. Like I just said the word barb, and because I've been around him, I expect him to say, you ever met her or something like that. And so his, his quick tongue, his ability with the language just is, is otherworldly. But also, I think I'm really happy for him because I, not that he's – taken a back seat to Harry and Hawk because it was Harry and Steve and then it was Hawk and Steve. But I think Steve's got a very strong personality that people are seeing really for the first time. And I'm glad for him because nobody should be the straight man for their entire life. And I, and I, I think the art of being a good partner is two things, curiosity and just listening. Like here, it's very difficult if you're a play-by-play announcer who reads from wherever, reads from their scorebook, reads from their prep, reads from whatever it might be, and just locks in on that to hear every word your partner says. And it's something I've worked very hard at, is making sure that I'm always listening to every specific word of my partner, because there's something in there probably that the audience needs to get more out of. or that you can play off of or build on or whatever it might be. That, that, that's such a great way to put it. You, you've really brought out the fun hmm. in Steve, and that's uh, – thank you for doing that. Let me ask well, you about uh, another guy. I, I, let, me, let me say this real yeah, fast. Sure. Let me just say this real fast. He's always had it <laughs> in him. So I, 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 I get a little – I just – people have said that before, and I do get a little bit um, wary of – of hearing that and accepting it completely because the guy is really, really smart and he's had it in him for a long time. And I'm, I'm just, I'm really glad we've gotten to do it. We're sort of like a, a band that's touring and we're going to do it for as long as, as people will let us together. But it's been right from day one. It's been a really cool thing. It, it really has. Well, I mean, you're, you're attuned to him. And that shows. It's, I don't take that for granted. That's really what I was trying to say. Thanks, thanks. No, uh, no, no, no. I'm not trying to be defensive or anything. I just, uh, I think Steve deserves a lot of credit for what's inside of him. That's all. 
Yeah. Well, let me ask you about another guy that you've worked with. Uh, that would be a fellow named Bill Walton. <laughs> I know you've I know you've mostly done basketball together, but back in 2019, you and Bill did a baseball game that will literally never be forgotten only because <laughs> you two were doing it. I can, let's let's listen to one of my personal favorite moments from that game. One out for Upton and a double play would be nice here. Well, how about a triple play? Well, with one out, it'd be difficult. <laughs> well, you can carry it over, can't you? <laughs> see, that's a, rule, that's a rule I'd like to see instituted. Carryover. Yeah. I'd love carryover. Yeah. <laughs> okay. First of all, is that a really a rule that you'd like to save? But second, how would you describe that night working with him? Uh, it was the most psychedelic, <laughs> enjoyable, lively experience. I'm telling you. I did not go to sleep until about 3.30 in the morning after that game. What's, what's, so uh, aside very quickly, uh, we, I was with a couple media relations people from the White Sox in the hotel bar that night, and we were just talking about Walton and how wild it was and how it went. And they're both, both big Walton fans as well. And uh, Saints coach Sean Payton showed up at our table. <laughs> So it started. No way. It started, yeah, they were playing the Chargers. I want to say in preseason <laughs> football. So that night, I ended up talking to Sean Payton for a while. We were just BSing, and then I, you know, I couldn't go to sleep because I was on this Walton rampage. I, I actually, right before, right, right when I got back to my hotel room, I ended up texting Lucas Giolito. I don't know. It might have been like one in the morning to apologize to him because in that game. Lucas's brother, Casey, who is a future actor who's taking theater classes. At that point, he was taking theater classes in Wales. He had flown in to see Lucas pitch in Anaheim. And so uh, Lucas's uncle, Mark Frost, and Casey came up to the booth to hang out. And I said, you know what, why don't we, I had had Mark on a couple nights before, the night before. I said, why didn't Casey come on and join us? And bringing Casey on for his first ever time talking about his brother in an MLB telecast with Bill Walton is quite possibly the most idiotic thing I have ever done. The poor kid who's taking acting classes and is literally like learning how to work off of other people's emotions to make a scene just got thrust into, into emotional backdraft with Bill Walton who started peppering him with questions about Harvard Westlake and growing up in the area and all this, like, did Lucas bully you? Like, all of these random questions that Bill asked. But that is the joy of Bill Walton, is he will literally ask anything. James McCann was our post-game interview that night, and Bill's first question was, what's that under your eyes? It's eye black. So then James explains eye black to Bill Walton. And I said, but that's his first question in the post-game interview. Not, what were you thinking when you hit the home run? What's that under your eye? And so to me, you know, I've, I've always really loved improv comedy and read about it and, and try to apply some of the tenets into what I do and yes and and listening to your partner and building on stuff. I don't know that there's a better improv class than working with Bill Walton. <laughs> right. What? So what a night! Like, and wait, and I keep trying to comprehend that you're you finished the night by talking to Sean Payton about working a baseball game with Bill Walton. 
That, yeah. that is my And then, and then, but yeah, celestial <laughs> is a great word for it. The, there's a tarot card somewhere with Bill's face on it. And I don't know what yes. it does, but you don't want to pull it from the oh deck. Oh my goodness. I, I, what's amazing is what gets lost in all of the Bill Walton to do is that the next night, my guest in the booth as color analyst was Mike Shore, mm. who is one of the smartest showrunners in all of the country, has created The Good Place, oh, co-creator of Parks and Rec, was Moe's on The Office, ran the Fire Joe Morgan blog <laughs> in part, is a huge baseball fan, does the podcast with, with Joe Posnanski. Yeah. But Mike Shore shows up the next day and everybody's like, well, what about Walton? I'm like, guys. <laughs> I have Mike Shore in the booth. He's like one of the smartest, most creative people in our country. Bill was amazing, yes, but Mike is also amazing. Yeah, I mean, he's otherworldly. Well, first of all, I love The Good Place. I just absolutely loved it. And I believe he's a West Hartford, Connecticut resident, so neighbor back in the day. Uh, and and no and I think that the the storytelling right and and you we've spoken a lot doing a lot of these games together over the years. Uh, what about that first impression? Because you've, I've seen you speak a lot about first impressions, and whether you're starting a game, you're introducing yourself to players you've never met before, and and sort of the power of that first impression, how it carries forward into your work and in life. Oh, Doug, I like we should we should do a town hall one day talking about <laughs> things because I, it's such a it's such a long answer, but I. I for a long while when I was in the minors, you know, I walk up to people and I have a bit of a limp and one of my eye drifts and one of my eyes drifts. And, and I have, um, I I've had to sort of steal myself for meeting people for the first time. And what I've realized over the course of time is if you're really comfortable with yourself, people will notice that very quickly. And I guess I guess the the major takeaway from my life to this point is that people all those books you read about first impressions and how valuable they are I think they're right but they're also workarounds for this and I don't know how strong they are and it depends on who you're around but to me the thing that people take away is the emotion you give off the feeling you give off and that's why I love being around Bill Walton so much because Bill lives fully emotionally. He is willing to laugh and cry and enjoy and ask questions and engage and all that comes along with it. And he's just a dear person to be around because there is, there is no pretense and he doesn't care about any impression that he gives off to people. And so there in some way is, is that Bill is, I think, what I aspired to be when I was younger, is somebody who literally can just go be whatever version of themselves they want and enjoy life that way. Um, because there are always going to be first impressions. But to me, the best thing you can do is hone in on what you love, get as good at it as you possibly can, and then make yourself happy in so many other ways by understanding yourself and that you're not going to be able to control people's first impressions in any way, but you can control everything that you do and they feel emanating from you. So that's why I try as much as possible to have fun and to smile and enjoy 
because, I, you know, being honest, I know what it's like to not feel that way and feel like, hey, will I get the chance or will people judge or do they want me on television or are they OK with me? And once people invested in me and I had a lot of people invest in me, uh, I, I got by that and I'm, I'm thankful for it. Well, that, that is so beautifully said. Let, let me just frame that answer for people who aren't aware. Um, I know many people who are listening to this know, maybe not everyone knows that uh, Jason Benetti has cerebral palsy. Um, and, you know, I'm also not sure if people are aware that, Jason, that you contribute your talents to a beautiful and uh, and also very funny video series called Awkward Moments, which tackles hey, awkward moments that people with disabilities experience every day in life. And um, those videos put those moments in such beautiful human perspective. Uh, can you tell us how that series came about and tell people where they can find it? So it's a collaboration with the Cerebral Palsy Foundation, who does great work. They, they, don't, um, they don't do anything but try to lift people up while raising money for cerebral palsy research. Uh, they're based in New York City. It's uh, yourcpf, Y-O-U-R-C-P-F.org. And uh, the whole Awkward Moments campaign is there. Uh, some of my friends, especially from college, would contend that I've always been a cartoon. But these are animated series uh, that, that are, you know, I, I've always liked to laugh when I'm feeling good because I think there's a lot of wry and there's a lot of weird and there's a lot of um, odd that comes in interactions that I have with people and to get mad at them when the, the toughest part for me is when I have somebody who's doing for the 500th time to me what they've only done once, they're not at fault. But I also have seen it a lot when, when a flight attendant says, are you sure you can handle the exit row door? And I say, yes. And then that person says again, are you really sure it's heavy? And, and what, what am I supposed to do with that other than say, no, 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 I'm good. And just sit there and do the crossword puzzle because they don't mean anything by it. They just don't fully understand. And so, you know, the, the, the coolest thing, just being totally frank with you, the coolest thing that happens to me and it happens more frequently now as I've done more games is I'll get a note from a parent. And I just got one the other day from a guy who's a lawyer in Chicago. And he said to me, uh, I know you've said that one of the things that you enjoy is that maybe you can be for somebody what you didn't have growing up and it's somebody on TV with a disability. And he says, my daughter has CP and I just want you to know that when people give us guff about her, um, we say, watch the White Sox game. And uh, it was a really cool note that I got the other day. Wow. And I, um, I've always wanted to have that person that I could show to somebody else. And that's, you know, the Netflix documentary Crip Camp has come out with it within the past year. And it's this great, great movie about what people with disabilities go through and the people who met at this camp ended up advocating for the americans with disabilities act to get passed mm -hmm. and i did not know the story and i'm ashamed to know to say that i didn't know the story but you know there were a couple moments in that video that i thought wow i wish i would have seen it 
you know, 36 years ago when I was one, because I, I would like to be able to know that there are people out there who say things like, if you have a disability and you generally live life passively, you're probably in trouble. Because there are points where I felt like I really have to push while I also just want to be a very nice person and fun to work with and enjoyable. But if I don't push, I don't think people are going to recognize maybe their implicit bias that they're using accidentally. And so there's been this real struggle at points, especially as I've gotten on TV more and, and climbed the ladder as we all want to do for me to keep the persona that I know I am in my heart wanting to be a good teammate, but while also saying, hey, you kind of shouldn't treat me like that. And so to have somebody write me and say, I can be that role model for somebody else really hit me pretty square in the heart. And, and Jay, just you know, one follow-up on that, that I, I've paid attention to, I think it's the Montag group. Is that, is that where you've done some speech or working with? Um, so I, I've done, I've done a lot on my own. They booked a couple for me as well. Um, but yeah, I've, I've done some in Chicago that have come in separately too, just, you know, from friends and people who've watched. Yeah. yeah. Cause one thing that, you know, really was stuck with me, as you said, uh, I'm quoting you that, you know, fighting for someone who doesn't have a marshal, uh, you stay with that person forever. Uh, can you talk about how that sort of inspired you? Because you, you've made that connection between inspiration and action. And the fact that if you're inspiring someone, the best thing you can do is turn it into action. You know, what has that meant for, you know, for your life and, and where you are now? Yeah, I think there are two components to that, Doug. One is that if a lot of times with people with disabilities, if you just break it down to a purely business decision, if somebody is a little slower at a task, that person, all other things equal, you know, Ayn Rand, and that person's not going to get hired because they're just a little slower at the task. But the intangibles that come with having a disability, especially that level of loyalty and understanding that, hey, you know, somebody gave me a shot, I'm going to work, like, I, I know what my work ethic is, and I think a lot of it comes from growing up different. Uh, and I think that if, if somebody, it's purely a business thing that I'm putting out there, if you hire somebody with a disability, I think they're gonna give you more than average most of the time. But I also think um, a lot of people, and I can list off the announcers that are high level announcers who I met when I was in college, who are people who have just advocated for me to the hill. People like Sean McDonough and Ian Eagle and Mike Breen, who you know I've had conversations with on on days when a coordinating producer said, hey, you should really work on your radio. Like I sent somebody a TV tape and they said, hey, you should really work on your radio. And that day, it was like the first time I'd ever talked to Mike Breen and he was just so encouraging and so great. This was years ago, years and years ago. And the person doesn't really mean anything by it except, hey, you know, you, I, don't, I don't know that I'm gonna put this on TV. And whether that's right or wrong or whatever you wanna feel about that, I have to find a workaround and I've had a lot of great people who've helped me find workarounds. So yeah, I think keep the people who care about you and will gush about you and love what you stand for, keep them very close because they're more important than just about anything in the world. 
Well, I want you to make sure you keep doing what you're doing because you do it better than anybody. Um, and I know you got to do a game tonight, but I, I need to mention that Jason Benetti is a really fun follow on Twitter. Uh, sh shockingly, you can find him at Jason Benetti. That's catchy. I don't know how you came up with that. Um, a couple weeks ago, I noticed that Rob Friedman, right, the legendary pitching ninja, yes. tweeted at you and said, I want Jason Benetti to do play-by-play -play for me, emptying my dishwasher. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then you tweeted back at him and said something like, send me a video. Yeah. So like, this is a big topic in our yeah. house because I am always second-guessing my wife loading the dishwasher. <laughs> so I pointed this out to her and said, I need this. And she said, no, no, no. What you, what you need to do is ask him if he will do a play-by-play -play of you reloading the dishwasher <laughs> right. after I've loaded it. So, Jason, would you do that for me? I would honestly play it every day. So, two things. First of all, have you been fully vaccinated? Your family fully vaccinated? If so, if so, I will come to your home and do it live. In person. But yes, okay, I will yes. absolutely do. I, yes, I will absolutely do the video. I would love to. And I, I would, I, you know, if this starts a series of dishwasher videos, I would be very happy. Because the world, the world needs better Twitter content. And I have to say, if you're talking lowbrow, middlebrow, highbrow, this is as highbrow as it gets. <laughs> right. But look, there's just not enough dishwasher content on social media. I think we can all agree on that. Huh? More dishwashers. Unquestionably. <laughs> well, I, you know, you have, to, you have to ask the question, like, is this dishwasher safe? Are we doing it right? Did, do we have a, a – what I would suggest to you first, and now I'm a dishwasher expert, is do you have a strategy that maybe you can – you can both come and meet at in the middle where like she likes to go horizontal you like to go vertical what what is really the struggle what is the struggle yeah that's a good question <laughs> there okay i i can't even go down this road because there won't be any video because i won't be married anymore but like i would sum this up by saying i am total strategy my wife is just throw the stuff in there and run it <laughs> <laughs> That's her strategy. There's so a there's you, a dishwasher. What there's a. What are you losing by by not letting her do it her way? <laughs> why why are you doing this? <laughs> you you are you are drawing me down a road I should not travel. You might, have, you, might, you might have to use the next question out out. You know we did that all day. Next question, Joe Girardi style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a next question. Okay, we are not doing this anymore because no Hartman, good can what's next here. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Like no good can come of further dishwasher discussion on this show. Um, I think this is all the impetus that we need to say, Jason. It's time for you to go call a baseball game involving the first place <laughs> White Sox. Nice. But but listen, man, it was awesome to have you. Thanks so much for joining us, and you are welcome anytime in Starkville. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I love it in Starkville. The weather is beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Better than Chicago, right? Oh, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> Doesn't snow in Starkville, I don't think. Never. No snow. No. no snow. It's a good place. <laughs> All right, man. Yes, sir. All right, man. That was tremendous. So that was thank you very much. I'll
I will be in touch on the on the dishwasher. Yeah, yes, yes. Let's get the update. Dishwasher update. All right, my friend. We like to end this show with the strange but true, and I have got one for you. Strange but true. Uh, This is a, a an item that I mentioned in my latest weird and wild column. And here's one thing that's weird and wild about it. It came to me while I was shaving. <laughs> I, don't like, don't ask me how or why. I really like, I need help that my, like I could be like shaving, slashing up my face, thinking about baseball notes instead of concentrating on the shaving. But for some reason I thought of this note and it's amazing. Here it is. The longest winning streak by any team this year. That's 13 in a row by the A's. Uh, They were a team that had the worst record in baseball when that streak began. Here's why I bring that up. Because the longest losing streak by any team this year is 11 in a row by the Royals. It just ended. And their streak started when they had the best record in the whole sport. And let's say this again. This had nothing to do with Rex Hudler's appearance on Starkville, <laughs> which seemed, which may have given the illusion of cursing the Royals and starting the streak, but that didn't happen. So there you have it. Longest winning streak by the worst team in baseball. Longest losing streak by the best team in baseball. Doug, you played baseball. I need you to explain this to me. <laughs> Why does baseball make no sense? I just use your your line you always put in your columns. Baseball. I mean, it, baseball <laughs> right. explains baseball, and you know it's it sort of speaks a lot to why it is 162 games or why it has such a long season, because it takes that much time for things to materialize to really who can say is who you can say is the best team, right? I mean, uh, any given week you can be the best team. You could get the, you know get hot, and that's why every day you played any team can beat you. I don't care if you're this incredible in any given moment. If you're if you're struggling, it doesn't matter who's on the mound or who's hitting or whatever. You you're gonna you you may keep struggling, and everybody is in that league because they have something to offer that they have talents and and when you go through these resumes, even the worst teams, you're like, oh wow, that was a first round pick, second round pick, all star. I mean, all these teams have f- phenomenal resumes and can in a flash become you know put it together for a seven day stretch or a two day stretch or a week stretch. The, the challenge is consistency. That's that's the challenge. That's where the greatness separates, to be able to do it year in, week in, week out, over the course of the year. But I don't care how good you are, you're going to fall on your face. And and your record may not reflect who you are as a team. And that's why that's why it's so tough to take a snapshot and say, this is who this team is. I mean, you it, it could literally change in overnight. And that's what I love about it. You you have a chance, and I know money matters in, in a lot. You know, we talk about the budgets of the, these teams. There's no def, no question that makes a difference. But a lot of that is experience, time, and consistency. You know, it's not that on paper every single player on the Dodgers is better than every single player on the whatever the Royals. You know, it's just that they've done things over time and they they coalesce better at this moment. But Anybody can beat anybody, and that's what you love. That's what you love about the game. Yeah, you know, I have a friend who's worked in baseball a long time. Here's his expression. You can't fool the season. <laughs> it's too long, right. and it, it'll get you. Uh, unlike us, we prove every week with these trivia questions, you can fool us for sure. 
And on that note, that is going to do it for another fabulous edition of Starkville. If you'd like to read our work or any of the tremendous writing on our site, on the White Sox, on the Dodgers, and Albert Pujols, or on your favorite team, there is no better sports writing being done anywhere than in The Athletic. So if you've thought about subscribing, we're still offering a great special. If you go to theathletic.com slash baseball show, you can subscribe for just $3.99 a month. Way cheaper than Netflix. So check us out. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Jason Benetti for visiting us. Thanks to Fred Lynn for stumping us with his great trivia question about himself. Uh, thanks to our mayor, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us and staging this whole Twitter trivia ambush. And thanks to you all for listening. Coming up Thursday on the Athletic Baseball Show, Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Doug and I will see you next Tuesday on Starkville.